she was not prepared to be famous at all. She did not think she was going to get it. Well, she's not famous in the U.S., unfortunately. But in the U.K., she's like like Madonna status, basically. And she was not prepared for that. So I think it's interesting that she wrote this song after becoming famous because it might reflect all of the pressure that that's put on her. Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and this week we are talking about track six on Kate Bush's second album, Lionheart, called Full House. to discuss this song you might remember her from our wow episode and our lionheart intro episode go ahead and introduce yourself yeah my name's zoe um i'm above everything a kate bush fanatic but also Mm -hmm. um for this song in particular i'm coming from the perspective of someone who is a clinical social worker which is like basically the term for being like a lower paid therapist um and this song is really fast. Like I said, this is, this is one where Cecily is not as yeah. not into it. And this song is really <laughs> near and dear to my heart. So um, this is going to be fun, like having, yeah, so it's going to be fun having you tell me why I should yeah. take this a, a second look. I don't hate this song. Well, I definitely a don't. Yeah. Well, from a, like a therapist's point of view, this song is really fascinating. Oh, yeah. And that's why it's really close to my heart. Because as someone who both, studies mental illness and works with people with mental illness and I myself have generalized anxiety disorder mm-hmm. I have never in my life found a song that captures what having generalized anxiety disorder is like as well as this does and I find it fascinating to contrast with Kate Bush in all her interviews being really calm and like mm-hmm. saying what a happy person she is because this is one of the like only songs really that she ever claims is at least at all autobiographical because normally as we've discussed she writes her songs in the form of short stories um indeed and there's also a lot of really i'm also interested in the song from the perspective of someone who before i was a clinical social worker was a literary critic and editor and there's a lot of interesting stuff she does with like tense and person that kind of reflects the state of mental health like use going between she and i and like disassociation so i'm looking forward to digging into it Yeah, the story behind the song, um, this was, it seems to be something brand new that she wrote for Lionheart, because um, I know mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of the other songs on the album, like we, when we, when we're going to get to Kashka from Baghdad, that was already written when she was a teenager and, and such. So this seems to be one of the, the few new songs that mm-hmm. she completely wrote for this album. And, and you, I see you, With- you've got some notes about here, about that. Yeah, well, I mean, what's interesting about it being a new song is because um, it's interesting well, for two reasons. Firstly, because it's like very pretty strictly piano based, which her demos tend to be. So mm-hmm. it's so it sounds like it would have been a demo. But what's really interesting about this being a new song is that I'm one. I always wonder if the anxious, the anxiety of the lyrics and of the arrangement reflects her mental state post fame and all the pressures it put on mm-hmm. her shoulders because oh, yeah. she was not. She was not prepared to be famous at all. She did not think she was going to get it. Well, she's not famous in the U.S., unfortunately. But in the U.K., she's like like Madonna status, basically. And she was not prepared for that. So I think it's interesting that she wrote this song after becoming famous because it might reflect all of the pressure that that's put on her. Indeed. And it's funny because with this song, like, it really conjures the state of generalized anxiety disorder and 
it's it's really because her the dreaming i would say the dreaming is her most anxious album in terms oh, of like arrangement yeah. and she's also yeah <laughs> and also in terms of her, the busyness of the arrangement and also in terms of like the things that it talks about it just generally is a it's a dark angry album and it, can, it also conjures like a mood of anxiety but up to the dream, up to the dreaming. This is definitely your most anxious song because breathing is also a very anxious song. Mm-hmm. But it's an anx- it's an anxious on a global level because it's about a nuclear yeah. war from the perspective yep. of a fetus. So as only only Kate writes, Bush but, could write about something like that. Oh my goodness! Right, but it, right, but it's funny because that's like an, a global anxiety, and she very rarely talks about like a personal anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if she was felt compelled to do so because of all the effects that fame put on her shoulder. Probably. Like, I, I get the impression in reading uh, Graham Thompson's biography, um, Under the Ivy, that the record mm-hmm. company the was... Oh, indeed. And, and as you guys will remember, <laughs> you know, I got to talk with him for the Kick Inside title track, which was just, oh, it was just awesome to talk to him and fangirl a bit. I get the impression that... The record company was like, okay, well, we're going to release this and we'll kind of promote her as like an album artist and see what happens. And then because she was doing things that were very different from other female singers of the time, like we have, like we've talked about that, oh, she's not coming out there and singing, oh boy, I want you to love me, baby, baby. She's singing about other stuff that it just, people just, it, she came in at right at the right time. Like, as prog rock and all in those England. other... In, in England, yeah. <laughs> she came in at this time where prog rock and slightly more interesting and unusual music was becoming popular. I'm also thinking a couple of years after this, um, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, they they released... Mm. Um, they, yeah, that some they started releasing some of their earlier work, and, it, and it's downright experimental and weird to listen to, and yet that was topping mm-hmm. the charts, in England, I was that's just listening. Well, in it, keywords in England. It's interesting because, like, at the time, in the 70s, I mean, I'm, I was not, I'm 26, so I was not alive in the 70s, but I've researched. Me neither. I mean, I'm, like, her number one fan. So I've done, I've read, like, every contemporary like, article from the time that came out about her at the time. And what really strikes me is that maybe she opened the door for what you're talking about. Because mm-hmm. when she did, like, first come on the scene, she was a one-off. Really, punk was dominating. Punk and disco True. were the two dominant um, genres and she was just a where is this per- this weird girl coming from so she really was and a lot of people after Wuthering Heights it was generally considered in the music media that she that was a one-hit wonder because I mean mm-hmm. you would think it is that is a very one-of-a-kind song it's like oh, yeah. you, you don't think you're going to get that again so but then I mean then Lionheart even though it's underestimated critics well today still did very well and then established like no she's here to stay she's not just this like random creature as male music critics would say um who's like a one who's was a one-hit wonder in the age of, pu- of punk and yeah. masculine rage i definitely agree with you that it's probably about like she felt okay i've been thrown into this whirlwind of fame and i'm going on on one plane one day to go to japan and now mm-hmm. i'm going over to australia and holy crap this isn't the way i expected oh my god but that's why i agree with mm-hmm. you it's, it was probably pretty new i mean she went into the studio in the summer of 1979 to record all these songs so she actually went to um she went to france this was actually one of her few albums that she recorded outside of england so she went to the south of france oh, yeah i've heard of those it's those stories yeah. of her in france like bathing, sunbathing topless and under the ivy mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and all the guys kind of going oh, 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 oh. oh god <laughs> but yeah this uh, this was probably written in those couple of months right before she needed to the record company said hey hey girl you need to go back in the studio and record some more stuff because yeah <laughs> yeah definitely lots of self-doubts and paranoia and i can see like looking at the sheet music for this song like music nerding for a moment that she shifts time signatures a lot like and from a lyric from a like a reader nerd point of view she shifts like narrative point of view a lot too so that's interesting to know that from a music point of view she shifts a lot too yeah like she starts at, like the main riff starts in 4-4 four, four, then it goes to then for driving back in her car, it's 2-4 to 4-4, then it goes to 3-4, and then 3-8, 2-4. It's like, it's all over the place. And the melody line is just like, she's going up high, 
she's going low. I mean, she was doing that a lot on this album anyway. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's her signature is that musicians, people I've talked to who are musicians really admire her because they say her music almost isn't replicable. It's like really impossible to cover because she mm-hmm. just, she goes all over the place in terms of both her singing and her, like the actual musical arrangement, um, which I find so fascinating. And that's why in my, for me, like Kate Bush covers tend to just never really be good um, because, yeah. <laughs> well, and there is a cover I heard of the song that, you know, I was thinking of playing for later in this episode, but I don't think I'm going to because it just, it, it's an interesting take on the song, but it's just doesn't quite do it for me. I'm like, you know what, we're going to do yeah. mostly just like going into the lyrics and everything else. And like, yeah, I'll, I'll pick- I feel like with cover, yeah, I feel like with covers, it's usually the best it's like not just with Kate Bush with anyone if someone's going to totally do something radically different with it instead of trying to do the original um because with her like just the musicians I've talked to have said like I can't perform that music I can't sing that music I can't play it because it's like the way that it's composed is so eccentric oh yeah which is something (laughs) for me as someone who doesn't read who can't read music I would have never known but yeah but she does that a lot in this song it's really fascinating and she's got a lot of chord shifts too. Like she she goes like practically every beat she's switching to another chord. And mm-hmm. like wow. as usual, like she's usually putting chords against each other that you don't really expect to go together. But that's that's one of the oh. things I find fascinating about her is that she doesn't follow Me a strict too. like for oh, this needs to be G C D E minor, G C D yeah. E minor. And I'll admit when I'm doing my own music, sometimes I get lazy like that <laughs> and I kinda yeah. repeat the song, but I just try and make it like it's slightly different melody and all that. But you know, every measure or practically every two beats, she's switching to a different chord like even in the chorus like she even switches to a g minor seven flat five which is a kind of more jazzy kind of key like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking at this going wow she's got a couple of jazz sort of chords in here so it mm-hmm. and, and it works and you know what i gotta say it really work it works well with the song that like you're lots yeah, of things going on and ah. mm-hmm. because the whole song is about having an overcrowded busy mind that you feel like you almost have lost control over so that works perfectly for the song and especially like one of my favorite things about this song is the in terms of going up and down in terms of pitch and melody um the backing vocals are much deeper it is like as usual she only does her own backing vocals Mm -hmm. um which is amazing and but the backing vocals are her own voice and deeper pitch and they keep on saying when she says, remember yourself in a higher pitch in the chorus, the, cor- the background vocal saying, you've got to, you've got to. And as someone with generalized anxiety disorder, that is like my life. It's basically that background vocal is like the little voice inside your head that is the demands that anxiety place on your brain. And that, mm-hmm. like, I know that I and other people with anxiety struggle to suppress or control. So I think that, like, she's really, like, musically recreating what it feels like to have anxiety, not just in the lyrics. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Especially, like, 
When she says, yeah, stand back and see emotion getting you uptight. My silly pride digging mm-hmm. the knife in. She loves to come for her ride. By the way, I did not oh, realize yeah. that that's what she was her. singing at that line. I thought it was, she loves to go for a ride or something. Oh, well, half the time I have no idea. I realize that she's saying something totally different because, like, there's just sometimes where you don't really know what she's saying. been talking a little bit about the lyrics but let, let's really delve into this because there's there's definitely i have to say talking to you about this song i am seeing this song in a new light definitely cool and that's, that's you know part agenda. of it and my- you know part of why i'm doing this big you know ambitious project <laughs> is so i can revisit a lot of her songs because i'll admit i've got my favorites i usually put on all the time but I don't. Bad so it, it's it, I'm do, do part of why I'm doing this is so I can see stuff in a new light. So look at here. Totally. And also, yeah, and I agree with you. Actually, with this song, it took me like a few listens through Lionheart to really um, to really for it to really hit me. And I think part of why is because um, I, it, I find it one of her most underrated songs. And I think that it's part of that why it gets overlooked is because it comes in between on the album, it comes in between, oh, well, if you thought, if you're listening on vinyl, it's the first half of side two, so that's different. But these days, most people aren't. Yeah. So it comes in between Owen Lynn, My Lionheart, and In the Warm Room, which are two kind of mushy, like mushy piano ballads. So with this one in between, I think it gets kind of buried between those two songs. So mm-hmm. I like to think of it as a diamond in the rough. Because I think because since it comes in between two songs that kind of have like a very similar vibe, this one gets lost. Um, yeah, that's my opinion. So yeah, driving back in her car, watching the wipers squashing the leaves away. Suddenly there in the yeah, road is so- your old self trying to get out of the rain. Driving back in her So that's interesting from like a literary perspective because well driving back in her car it that starts in third person so she so what Kate first her like her quote about the song was she said um she said full house is probably quite autobiographical you know I could do a British accent but I won't talking I about how hard I find it to cope with all the feelings I get from paranoia pressure anger that sort of thing she said that in 1980 mm-hmm. and so it's interesting because she's saying that this song's not about autobiographical, but she's starting it in the third person with she. Um, so there's this like distancing of herself from the narrator, and maybe is she afraid to admit that this is how she's feeling? And then also this like this, this squashing the leaves away is weirdly a violent. It's like a weirdly violent image. Like that's mm-hmm. not how most of the time when you have your window wipers on, that's not how you would think about the leaves most of the time. So it shows what state mm-hmm. of mind she's in right there. And then she goes. Suddenly there in the road is your old self trying to get out of the rain. So then she goes from she to you. So it's weird how she goes from third person to second person, um, which see, which is a sign. I mean, just from my background is therapeutic work. I mean, that's just, I'm not diagnosing Kate Bush and saying she has a disassociative disorder, but that is a sign of disassociation. Um, and then from later on, as we'll get to, then she gets into first person. So it's almost as though she's afraid to admit that this is personal for her so she starts as distant as she can with third person then gets a little closer to second and then finally is like yeah this is how i'm feeling first person and i am my enemy you've got some stuff here for i am my enemy mowing me over and towing the line away somehow it just seems to fit with that old me trying to get back again Fit with that old me 
after this, she has this. So after the part that we just already went, then she says, "I'm this line that I am my enemies." Then, wow, like that's a really powerful thing to say, and really expresses a lot of social anxiety and paranoia because she says. Um, imagination sets in, then all the voices begin telling you things that aren't happening. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, you can read, like, in terms, for me, as a mental health practitioner, I'm reading that and hearing social, I'm getting out my DSM-5 right now. I'm getting, that's what, like, clinicians use to diagnose people. I'm like, there's social anxiety there. There's severe paranoia. You get, as you wrote, you said, you get a sense of someone being paranoid, Mm -hmm. always watching their back and letting their own imagination take over their sense of reality. And that's very true. It's interesting that this is the part when she shifts to the first person, when it really gets intense. I mean, she's saying she's killing herself. I'm my own enemy. I'm my enemy mowing me over Mm -hmm. and towing the light away. That's like she's killing herself in a car accident. Yeah. Dark. <laughs> Which, uh, by the I, way, I, I, you know, uh, don't don't push your foot on the heartbreak has a lot of imagery mm. about a car accident, too. I just thought of that. <laughs> and that's on yeah, the same album. Well, it's funny because people say she's afraid of flying. Maybe she's afraid of driving. Um, I mean, I would be too around. I, my enemy. Rem- yeah. It reminds me a lot of a, of a movie that not a lot of people have seen, but it's this 1981 movie called Possession, the director. Director is Andre Zulawski. I'm pronouncing that wrong. It stars the actress Isabella Jani, and it's 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 a really big cult favorite because it's about this woman. It's about the breakup of a relationship, and I, I won't spoil more because there's kind of a supernatural horror element to it that I would spoil. But it's essentially about a woman and her breaking down, and and she has a really famous line in it where she says, "I can't exist by myself because I'm afraid of myself," mm. and that reminds me a lot of "I'm My Enemy." mowing me over and throwing the light away it's like mental illness i'm not saying i don't i do not think kate bush has a mental illness i'm not saying she does but like mental illnesses and anxiety and physical illnesses chronic illnesses too make our brains and thought patterns feel uncontrollable and like in kate bush's words my enemy Mm -hmm. so i find that a really interesting if you end up do seeing the movie possession i find that a very interesting parallel with those two lines well, and so I've it's seen a very it. amongst like horror movie, not horror, not even horror movie fans. It's kind of like people who are into like cult movies. Mm-hmm. It's a really um, renowned film. It's not just like campy cult, cult. It's really a masterpiece. It's a really one of those brilliant films I've seen. But I think it's interesting about this, like this idea of like the woman on the edge of a nervous breakdown, mm-hmm. like motif, and you don't really see that in Kate Bush's work a lot, especially in relation to her, because she. Um, she it's really looks... interesting because Kate Bush has always gone on about, like, in interviews, people are like, what's your personality like? And she's like, I'm a very happy person. And around, especially around the time when Hounds of Love was released, she talked at length about how she thinks that being in a good state of mind produces the best art, as opposed to the cliche that, like, you have to be a tortured mm-hmm. artist to make the best art. So I think it's this song really stands in contrast to that in a fascinating way. So we can yeah. dive back into the lyrics. Yeah. Wait, so, so you were on the, uh, the I, my enemy. Yeah. We talked. Yeah. And, then, yeah, and that's, so that's your favorite line. Yeah. So it's a good yep. one. And it's good that one. one. And then later on, I also like, um, because it has a lot of personal meaning for me. Um, stand back and see emotion mm-hmm. getting you uptight is probably my favorite lyric in the entire mm-hmm. song. Because I feel like I can relate to that where it's like you have to kind of like step back and realize, okay, you need to just chill out. Don't get all wound mm-hmm. up. Just just, just take a chill pill. And I have to remind myself and, of yeah. that a lot. Yeah, I think, and maybe the fact that she's aware she has to remind herself of that is how she's been able to keep her cool because she's so known within people. I have family in the music business and like just have read so much about her that I know that everyone in the music business says that she's like one of the most like down to earth kind of chill people you could meet in the business. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the fact that she's able to remind herself to chill out might be what makes that happen. But I think it's really interesting with like, so 
in the opening, the driving back in her car, then ending with the, the stanza that ends with trying to get out of the rain. Then you have the backing vocals say, mm-hmm. but they nag and they nag till they're, till they're under your skin. And so the backing vocal really, rep- as I mentioned earlier, really represents the heightened anxiety and thoughts that she can't try to get out, that she's trying to get out of her head, but can't suppress. It's like what she's telling herself to chill out, but the backing vocals won't let her because mm-hmm. they keep on saying, you really got to. You've and got she says, to. remember yourself. But the backing vocal says, is telling her like, no, like you have to remember to do that. It's not natural. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're with anxiety. I can speak from my own experience and from that of clients I work with. Just your brain is never quiet and you're always, always overflowing with thoughts. I'll just be like trying to go to bed and like, I just, mm-hmm. like have like three, 10,000 ideas that I need to like write down. And you all, and often mm-hmm. the thoughts are paranoid and negative, which relate to this song and also kind of, it's interesting in relation to her as an artist because she's so separated from like the business. Like as we talked about with Wow, she does not like to associate with show business. Mm-hmm. So there is that kind of social anxiety. Yeah. And also I think the title, because, you know, we get the title in the chorus. You know, you've got mm-hmm. a full house. I th- I almost think of that as like a play on words in a way, like because it could sound like full house, like you're an, ins- true, an insane yeah. asylum. You've got a full full house or a full house that like oh yeah. you're you're always thinking of stuff yeah and I'm you know I'm a fellow introvert like her and I'm constantly like aware of what's going on and thinking about things like mm-hmm. yeah, that, yeah I never, never thought that before that's a good point yeah and I also I really like the line um my silly pride digging the knife in she likes she loves to come for her ride because what she does so in my last mm. grad school course, we talked about it, something called narrative therapy. Mm-hmm. And in narrative therapy, there's a technique called, ex- my professor should, give me, should be very proud of me right now. He's not listening. But anyways, there's a technique <laughs> called externalizing the problem, which means separating yourself from the problem, realizing you're not the problem that comes from outside of you. So basically, for example, like it's actually a lot based on like, anti-oppression stuff mostly like background and like social justice work so like for example let's say for me as a queer woman it would be saying like my queerness it's not a, like I am not a problem it's society that makes queerness a problem mm-hmm. and in, in narrative therapy sometimes a technique that people will do is like referring to the problem giving the problem a name and calling it by that name and not like referring to it as part of you so I think it's really interesting when she talks about the silly pride she semi- she calls the silly pride she she loves to come for her ride um mm-hmm. that's so it's not it's a separate entity from herself that is digging the knife in and trying to come for her ride so she's separating her anxiety and self-destructive thoughts from herself which is good because it's sh- like if you if I was doing narrative therapy with her I'd be like good work Kate like you did a very good job of externalizing the problem um because she is able to separate she's able to recognize that her silly pride isn't all her that it's something external coming in and I just find it so interesting that what she goes back to third person and is describing her anxiety as a as a well a as a female which is interesting because yeah that's on many levels um yeah because especially um, like there's you kind of get this impression like throughout history like oh well my wife is going nuts and well that's just her being a woman because that's what women do kind of thing well also i mean anxiety is more even though it's probably equally prevalent in men and women it is reported more often among women it can like women are always considered you know like anxious there's well there's a line Oh, that's exciting. That is a line about hysteria, like hysteria, like the whole hysteria movement in the late 1890s. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Women are always anxious. Yeah, like women are always anxious and hysterical. So it's interesting to me that she feminizes the anxiety, especially because she's someone who I do have beef with her. Um, feminist. I, I, no, I don't believe in blind love. Makes me, I think just be critical of your faves. So I, she does very much subscribe to idea that like male artist good woman artist bad like she said about the kicking side like I don't I like to not think of myself as a woman at the piano because but I understand that she was raised in a quite patriarchal household in which her brothers and father were really the people she learned to worship and at the time in music there were like very few women musicians around doing anything that remotely resembled what she wanted to do so she had so she had to look up to men for that yeah. um 
so it's interesting in that, from that perspective too that she's um, feminizing the anxiety because that's like a negative because she's feminizing something that's negative. Mm-hmm. And also like the lyrics I really like that come after by questioning all that. So she loves to come from her for her rides by questioning all that I do, examining every move, trying to get back to the rudiments. And then the backing vocal says again, if they nig and they nag, I'll just, I just put, put in, in the food. Yeah. Like for me, as someone with GAD, that's that's it right there. All you constantly like, you look. I'll text a friend and be like, "Oh my god, did I say the wrong thing?" Like you, you question all you do. You examine every move. You try to get back to the rudiments, figure out what went wrong. Like that. Yeah. As I said, I've just never heard a song that captures what having this mental illness feels like. Nearly like to this extent, it's really uncanny, and it's uncanny coming from someone who seems very chill and stable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it makes me think. With the, you know, I'll just put in the boot. Makes me think. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna take these bad thoughts and put them, you know, put them in the trunk of my car or something. You know, again, yeah. it feels like the boot going back to this this whole song. She seems to be referring to a car accident. So I put it in the boot, aka yeah. the trunk. We we Americans would call the trunk. <laughs> well, oh, okay. I actually didn't even. I just learned that right now. I thought no, I just thought of that actually. Gonna, I thought she was. Gonna, I I always thought that that meant she was like kicking it, like to get rid of it. But it's funny too because also, as I'll mention later, in a song that this relates a lot to, which is her demo "Private Frightened Eyes." Mm-hmm. Um, there's also car imagery in that. So it's interesting because within her music, there's actually not a lot of like car imagery um, because her music seems like not really always grounded in like the concrete world. So yeah. it's almost uncanny to hear her singing. Well, the way we're all just singing about something so normal, like where it always gets me is in Hello Earth um, because that's one of my favorite songs of hers ever on Hounds of Love. And she has a line where um, she, t- she mentioned driving and I'm oh, like, get back this in my whole car, song yeah. is so, yeah, this whole song is so, like Hello Earth is so celestial and otherworldly and all of a sudden you're talking about driving. I'm like, wait, what? We're back on Earth now. Okay. Yeah, I just find it interesting. With you know, I'll just put in the boo. Like, oh, I'm going to stick it in the trunk of my car and maybe almost treat it almost like a dead body, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which might be the best way for her to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Just go, you know what? I'm just going to put it away for now and just, rah, just get it I'm, away from me. It seems to have worked for her because in every interview, she always just talks about how happy of a person she is. So if that works for her, that's great. Yeah, she said, you know, surely by now I should know I can control my highs and my lows. Yeah. So she's regaining control. But the backing vocals still kind of don't let her. They still, mm-hmm. like, the nig and they nag. They keep on going in a very high pitch. Um, yeah, and they do feel it, in those, it, the way she sings it, it does feel like, kind of like nig and nag, like, Exactly. It's very intentional, yeah. And then get back to the, you've got Well, she uses, and this is something I am very passionate about, in terms of one of the things I love about her work is that she uses her voice as an instrument. Like most Mm -hmm. artists, the voice is like what I use to say my words. For her, the voice is an instrument. It's another thing that creates to the soundscape of the song and to the mood of the song. So I think that the, the nagging, they nag kind of, it's supposed to be nagging. It's like literally. Um, And she controls. And also when she deepens it, so you have to, like she has such a wide range that she uses that range as a way to, convey to the listener what's happening inside the character's head yeah she's not just saying like she's not just saying it she's saying it in a specific pitch that tells you more about the meaning than the words themselves almost do Mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that I love about Kate's music is the way that she uses her voice as someone like anything you usually hear in in most mainstream music I mean like we've talked about before
Um, I know I've got like the live, we've got some live performances and stuff like that. But before we do that, because um, you you'd mentioned there were a lot of parallels between this song and Frightened Eyes. You want to get into that a little bit? Yeah. So Frightened Eyes is a demo that she recorded. Um, I don't know the exact year off the top of my head, although I should. Um, but it was, it's one of the ones she recorded, like literally just at home, her and her piano, not with a um, full orchestra. So it's one of an early, it's an early demo. It's yeah. one of, to be honest, it's one of my favorite Kate Bush mm-hmm. songs of all time, like Same including here. release music. Same um, here. And what I find fascinating about this song is that it is, again, so anxious and paranoid. And yet it was written when she was probably like 14. And mm-hmm. so to me, like I, it's so striking to me that this song was written before she got famous because it so captures what it feels like to be under con- constant scrutiny. Um, it's almost as if she predicted her own future in this song because she's writing about like being the center of attention and not being comfortable with that. And then what happened a few years later but yeah so, so there's some also there's some lyric and thematic parallels so frightened eyes the first line is just traveling on a bus and full house opens with driving back in her car so symbolically with both of those she's in movement without any steady grounding mm-hmm. so it's the thing of being kind of in the middle of something and not feeling secure or stable or steady because you're still moving Just traveling on a bus, driving back in her car. To quote, and that's well, moving is very important in her work. Um, and then she says, just traveling on a bus from a friend's house, and all of these people are looking at me. They're gazing at windows in the English country garden. And all these people are looking at me, gazing at windows. all these people looking at me that's just to me it's just eerie that she wrote that before she, everyone was looking at her um and i also a fear of that yeah and, and also i think of it like since she wrote this as a teenager like when you're a teenager you're always feeling like everybody's watching you even when people actually yes. aren't <laughs> yeah so that's totally. another and, then, and you have to remember with full house she was still like if she was if it was on her new song she was 20 when she wrote it so she's mm-hmm. still you know so it's, it's really interesting also since they're gazing at windows in any English country garden, because as I discussed in the Lionheart Inter episode, in Lionheart, she very much, there's a kind of nationalistic streak where England equals home, which equals safety. So it's like she's kind of, by putting the English country gardens mention, she's going, she's making it feel safer. But then she says, as, but as gazes meet, vacancy shows on screen, but I feel inside the lameness hysteria. Why is she looking at me? So latent hysteria, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, hysteria has been very feminized. And it's also interesting because Kate's vocal style is always pretty much always described by male music critics as hysterical, especially like early in her career, stuff that was written in when she came out. Mm-hmm. And because of hysteria, I'm a nerd about turn of the century psychology. So because of hysteria and the the phenomenon of hysteria amongst young women at the turn of the century, the word hysterical and hysteria are inherently feminine terms. Um, yeah. So the fact that male music critics are always calling her vocals hysterical. And then she's talking about hysteria here. It's like there's this, all this feminization. And then the why is she looking at me is the same self-doubt that appears in Full House. Yeah, because interesting, like the latent hysteria, she very much then does express with her voice in her later work. Well, like this demo, even though her voice is very high on it, it's not, for example, like Wuthering Heights. Like as much as it's a feminized term, I don't want to use it in a way that like is pejorative. It is a hysterical, like her her vocals are hysterical, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm on Infant Kiss on so many of her songs, usually the ones I like the best, they're the most hysterical because I'm really into that. But I think that it's interesting that the latent hysteria that she felt as a young teenager, she then expressed through using her voice as an instrument in her career. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much of the self-doubt. She, she says that I drift to want 
to one, they're all like me. I do from one to one I can see. generalization that's like a cognitive behavioral therapy term where basically you assume oh everyone is this or everyone is that or they all are, like she says here they all are like me mm-hmm. so um it's interesting how we see even though full house seems so reflective of, of anxiety and paranoia that accompany fame these thoughts were in her head years before which i find fascinating like she almost looked into the future yeah. And she's also like becoming aware of other people. Like she's saying they're all like mm-hmm. me. They've all got frightened eyes. Like everybody is feeling anxious. Like, hey, I'm just trying to go about my business. Why is everybody watching me? Uh, she's realizing that mm-hmm. everybody has this kind of has this streak in them. And whether or not whether you recognize that or come to realize that about yourself, you know, it's up to you. Like I know plenty of people that mm-hmm. are not very self-aware <laughs> and I'm like, do you realize yeah, that the stuff that's coming it's out of your mouth? People, like, yeah. You as someone who is like a therapist in training for like their job, I can tell you the people who need therapy the most are always the ones who don't pursue it or don't realize mm-hmm. they have a problem. So, because I mean, society, yeah. I mean, I think we're, I like to think that we're a little bit better about recognizing some mental illness these days than even say 50 years ago like when people coming home from the vietnam war and everything but i oh, still yeah. think there's a lot of lot to go i mean even like a hundred years ago you get dad coming home from world war one and oh yeah he still ran up he it's just his thing that he randomly wakes up in the middle of the night screaming because that's mm-hmm. he after he the war me. and yet and you know people that we didn't know that is really is ptsd back then but i like to think mm-hmm. we're a little bit better than we were but i mean there's oh, the human yeah. mind is very complex <laughs> as kate bush you know yeah. puts in the, in these songs that yeah and in, yeah it's interesting at the end of frightened eyes i don't want to dwell on frightened eyes too much because we're talking about full house but just the pair the songs the are so similar yeah. not just in terms of not just in the lyrics but also the way they they sound similar too and that's why i found i mentioned this at the beginning it's I actually was surprised to learn that Full House was a new song because it sounds a lot like her um, demos more. But it ends with saying, and all of these people are looking at me. They're gazing at windows. They're burning up in there. So they're all looking at her. So that's, she's hyper-focused on, on criticism and fear of being center of attention, which is one of the diagnostic criteria for social anxiety disorder. I just have to do an exam on that. Mm-hmm. And they're burning up in here. It's like this burning up is pain. Like the heat of their gaze, the heat of their gazes is burning her up and it hurts her. It's again, like with the car accident imagery in Full House, it's almost like there's a self-harm going on. Expressionless Everyone here loves cheap wine We all know good taste We just get too busy Trying to find the right games to play Impatient and we all Watching the time trip by And all these people It could be the people like the people she's looking at on the bus coming home that they're they're they've got lots of feelings and they don't know how to express them but they you can still see that you can still see it in their eyes that they feel really really sad <laughs> and they've got a lot mm-hmm. going on but they just don't talk about it right well it's interesting also because she um she always says that if she was not a musician she would have been a psychiatrist i could see that so it's, 
because it's yeah. it shows that from an, a young age that she was aware of other people and what they were feeling and and trying to empathize mm-hmm. with them, which I I just find I find very very intriguing about her. <laughs> yeah, me too. And it's it's some I think it's something part of why I connect her music and to her because um, like her songs, the ways in which that they are usually tend to be like short stories. She really is interested, and I think for me as a as a clinician, I'm interested in people's stories and interested mm-hmm. in storytelling because I'm also a freelance writer. And I also a huge reader. I just love stories and I love hearing them and reading them. And I think just being inherently curious about the world and about others is something that is part of being a therapist. And also, so that's some, it's interesting that that's why if that's the career she was drawn to, if not music, because the, that curiosity about other people in the world is expressed in her music in a way that is not expressed in most artists' music. Um, it's just I think that she it's interesting that in the, people don't really think of therapists as being curious about the world but really in therapy you have to take on a stance of not knowing you have to trust that mm-hmm. the client is the expert on their own life and that you are there to hear their story and affirm their view of the world and maybe help them modify some unhelpful pattern un, unhelpful patterns but that you have to be inherently curious and what I see in her music is always an inherent curiosity about the world, about other stories, as opposed to just here, I'm going to talk about myself. Yeah. I'm going to talk about this boy that I'm in love with. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like she'd rather talk about dancing with Hitler, but you know, <laughs> it happens. You're dancing with Hitler or um, dancing on dancing with red shoes that just won't stop dancing until you cut or off Will and Wright. And stuff, yeah. yeah. Or yeah. Will and Reich. Yeah. Definitely. So this song has only ever really been performed. It was only ever really performed on the tour of life. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't performed on any TV shows as far as I know. And in it fact, wasn't, like the yeah. footage was not even released officially mm-hmm. on Live at Hammersmith Odeon. You have to go to YouTube to find it. I, I remember when when somebody uploaded the rant, the footage of her doing the this lost song. Footage, you mean? Yeah, the lost footage. I'm not just like, whoa! Oh my god! Holy yeah, crap. it was like it was Christmas. <gasps> it was Christmas. Indeed, it felt like like it, like Andrew like finding out you know stuff about uh, some of his favorite artists. It's like, oh my gosh! Yay! This exists! Yay! I got to see it. <laughs> Literally for four, I mean, I have not been waiting for 40 years. I've been alive for 26, but there are people who have been waiting 40 years to see that lost footage. It was it was like that. I think that was the end of last. I remember getting a text from another Kate fan, friend of mine being like, oh my God, you have to see like the new footage is up. And I'm like, the what? And they're like, they find like now all of the tour of life online. But we have to care about saying that so she doesn't find out and take it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, actually, we know nothing of this. <clears throat> No, what? What demo? What? 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 what, what <laughs> but you know, but I, yeah, and it's a shame because there's some of it that I really like better than stuff that was included on Hammer's podium. Like for example, you saying this wasn't a favorite of yours, like Coffee Homeground, which is a later song of mine, mm. are always to me was like eh, kind of cringy. But I like the live. Oh, I do so too. Much, which yeah. I only got to see with the lost footage. That now I like the song. So it's it's mm-hmm. like it's a shame that we didn't. I, I yeah, it's a shame that we didn't. Oh, especially for that song, because it looks like something yeah, straight out of a musical. Oh great. my god, it looks totally, awesome! Yeah, the live version I liked so much that then I kind of revisited the song. It's like, okay, I actually like this now because before I would just always skip it. That and in the warm room on this album, I was like, goodbye, you don't exist. <laughs> so yeah, the live version was never officially released. I mean, I I found I will admit I found an audio bootleg right before she does this song. She chose she does the this. The, the intricate piano riff and then she misses a couple notes stops and she says fucking hell then she does the, the piano he part again dirty mouth. and then she pauses yeah, and then bre- says yeah. thank you and then goes into the song it's just like the funniest thing it shows to you know what kate bush is human fucking hell Even she, she makes is. 
I have to be careful as someone who worships her, like in idolizing her because she's she is human. And like I don't know exactly if you've ever if you see if you I ordered the I did not get to go to before the dawn, which is a fact that I think about every day. And um, but I do I did order the program, and the program she wrote herself. And you can tell because it is very much her voice. Like, you can tell she wrote it. But she curses. She has a dirty mouth. And she writes about it. She's like, I know, I have a very filthy mouth. Um, so, yeah. So, like, the real, it's funny because there is this such a disconnect between the, quote, real Kate and, quote, musical slash stage Kate. But in that moment of her saying that on stage, they're merging. Like, real Kate, apparent, according to everyone who's met her, is, like, very chill and, will like, has a dirty mouth and, like, smokes weed and, like, is just, like, totally normal and like people will come over and she bakes for them but then in, you know in music, the way she performs she gives her all and is like has to be otherworldly mm-hmm. um yeah but it's but you're right it's just mainly her playing at the piano yeah. but it's interesting also she's it's a, I wonder from a I'm going to analyze it from a therapist's point of view I wonder it's interesting that she slips and says uh fucking hell on a song that's more autobiographical Indeed, and it, it, it kind of, yeah, and actually, kind of, <laughs> and plus, I think it kind of it it works with the the song she's going into because it's all about like your anxieties and you're trying like mm-hmm. your perfectionism and and then you know, she 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 starts this intricate piano riff, realizes she misses a few notes, starts again, and then goes back into it. <laughs> it does totally fit the mood, like the theme of the song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Watching the rise. Squishing the leaves away pretty simple yeah it's just her at the piano while the band plays behind her i think she's dressed in the same uh pretty black uh outfit that she was where she was lying across the piano in the song before Mm -hmm. which was in the warm room where she was kind of doing her like michelle pfeiffer in the fabulous baker boys (laughs) yeah because she's like i actually have another one where i like the live version more i do too Mm mm-hmm yeah, and in the in but search of Peter Pan like, is in search of Peter Pan, I also like better in the live version. Like, there's something about the way that I, I mm-hmm. like how she um, it, she just like the angst on her face and the way she like she's just, yeah with with her face and everything. It it really fits with the uh, the angst of the lyrics. And everything. Yeah, she literally does the robot too when she does in search of Peter Pan, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> You got
yeah, I will say after talking with you about the song, you know, I'm I'm seeing the song in a new light. I mean, oh, I'm glad. I've always I've always liked the lyrics, and I can appreciate yeah. the music and how how chaotic it is because it's supposed to be with with the yeah. uh, right. Everything's going on in my head. Oh my god, I can't quiet the voices in my head. Yeah, it just yeah, it's just such an it's such a diamond in the rough. Like people, this is definitely on my top five like underrated song first. Like like. All you ever look, all we ever look for on Never Forever. Also, I find very underrated. There's just so. I mean, I, there's a lot of songs where I find very underrated. But I think because Lionheart is underrated, period, and mm-hmm. because this comes in between two kind of weaker songs on the album, it just doesn't get the credit it deserves. And I hope that by listening to this episode, maybe more people will see it in a different light and want to revisit it. Oh, that's... Like I've sent, I've like sent it to friends. Of, I've like told friends of mine who also have generalized anxiety disorder, like to listen to it, and they're like, "Oh my god, yeah!" Like I relate to this so much. <laughs> and indeed, I do too. Like I generally come across as a pretty bubbly person. Obviously, on this podcast, I am because yay, and I am this way in real life. But even I deal mm-hmm. with like my own demons, if you will. But everybody does, and like we, we talked do. about, it's. Yeah. It's a whether you recognize that, it, and and, a lot, and honestly, a lot of people don't. I th- I think they and I yeah, yeah, and I wish that they would, but you know, yeah. And also, it's interesting because I think like her music gives her the outlet too, as well. And sometimes people don't have that outlet, so they just don't know how to express their anxiety. But but most of her music is not is not about anxiety. It's just that's what makes this song to me so interesting is because it's such an anomaly in her catalog, like it's one of the only personal songs that she has. And it's interesting because in later work, like on some of the Red Shoes songs that do seem more personal, when she does write more from like a personal perspective, it just unfortunately, in my opinion, not as good um, mm-hmm. and tends to become more conventional in terms of the actual, her writing style and the musical arrangement. But it's in, so I like that on this song, she's writing something personal that, still is completely unconventional both musically and in terms of lyrics because on a song like for example like you're the one off the red shoes kind of like a standard breakup song like the lyrics are just like are just not special really i mean there's mm-hmm. you know and like so they're they seem like they come from the ordinary world whereas what i think people love what i love about her music is that it takes me out of the ordinary world yeah. So I really like that at this point in her career, she's able to write from a personal point of view in a way that is still completely unique and doesn't seem mundane at all. What I love about this song is that she's able to write a personal song that isn't, that is also a literary work and a musical that is still musically seems like it comes from another planet too. And like, it's still not, there's still so much to dig into. Well, um, hopefully I'll be able to, you know, I always try to quiet the full, the, the full house in my head, but sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> and sometimes you need Prozac for Klonopin. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> well, but thank yeah, you so much for talking about this song with me. Yay. Oh, my pleasure. It's, as I said, my agenda to make more Kate Bush fans realize that this song is an un- undiscovered gem. So hopefully... Some people will re-listen to it and realize how special it is. Indeed. And also just for me, coming from a mental health practitioner standpoint, I think that this song is just so important in terms of helping other people who maybe don't deal with these issues understand what it is like to deal with these issues um, and really cultivate empathy for people dealing with anxiety. And it can be, the song can be, related to more than anxiety it could be related to disassociation it can be related to schizophrenia um and i think that this song cultivates empathy for people who are suffering because they can't quiet the voices in their head
If you have a favorite Kate Bush song or even a few songs that you would love to chat about on a future episode, please feel free to email me, kbcast at linkmedia.com. That's link with an E. You can also find me on Twitter at StrangeKateCast and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Kate Bush Podcast. Also, feel free to email me if there's something about this week's song that we have not gotten to in our discussion. I want to make sure I hear from you guys. See everybody next week. Well, and Isabella Johnny, I've seen her because I'm familiar with her since she's uh, she's a pretty popular French actress. Right. And, and you know French stuff. Yeah. And I know French stuff. I'm a big Francophile. And so Me I've, too. I've seen her. I think I saw her in a Luke Basol movie that came out a, a couple of years after this. I think she was in um, it was called Subway or something like that. Yeah. Came out in, yeah. OK. That was her. Well, I, I, she's known for. Play, yeah. She's known for always playing women on the edge of a nervous breakdown. That's her. And also apparently in real life. I, she is like, OK, so I call Kate Bush my good mom and Isabel Johnny my evil mom. Ah. Um, so I, I'm a huge fan of hers. I like adore her, worship her. But she, like, apparently in real life is uh, quite batshit. So it kind of all fits. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting on a tangent now. But I think it's interesting about this, like, this idea of, like, the woman on the edge of a nervous breakdown, like, mm-hmm. motif. And you don't really see that in Kate Bush's work a lot, especially in relation to her, because she, um, she it's really looks- interesting because Kate Bush has always gone on about, like, in interviews, people are like, what's your personality like and she's like i'm a very happy person and around especially around the time when hounds of love was released she talked at length about how she thinks that being in a good state of mind produces the best art as opposed to the cliche that like you have to be a tortured Mm -hmm. artist to make the best art so i think it's this song really stands in contrast to that in a fascinating way and also like she she seemed always seems so cool and calm and collected well, she's stoned in oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean that is that could, that's probably part of it but she always yeah, yeah she i mean i seems really why. chill I mean, and yeah she maybe does it's... and i actually to be on i don't want to like again speculate on drug use because that's like not my place but she said when donald sutherland filmed the cloud busting music video with her um she was smoking a giant he found her the great my favorite anecdote he found her smoking a giant joint at 8 a.m and he said, what are you doing? And she said, quote, I haven't been straight for eight years, which meant that. She, so when you calculate from 1985, it means she basically had been smoking weed every day starting in 1978. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I wonder if that's a coping mechanism for stress. I don't know. Could be. Interesting, and of course, when we yeah. get to the dreaming, like it, it said that when she was recording that album, that there was that uh, she was surviving on weed and chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. when she so was said, recording she it you can totally tell it sounds like she, well actually with weed I mean it's I actually would never have guessed that she was a stoner in terms of weed because she's like her energy on all her music and videos and performances is so amped up whereas like being stoned you associate more with just being like chill which is more True. of her like her like more of when you see her interview she's more chill and but um but when she performs, she's so full of life. You're like, you would think she's on like uppers. But I know from reading Under the Ivy and other stuff that she really was not like a heavy drug user during a time in the music business when everyone was like high on coke mm-hmm. and heavy drugs, which is really interesting. Like she's very quaint in a way, just being like a quaint stone, 1960s stoner. Yeah. But anyways, we can get back to the song. And, yeah, get back to her, her. Her weed anecdotes are like some of my favorite anecdotes ever. So. <laughs> It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 